Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. If the audio on today's show sounds a little bit different to usual, it's because we're recording it from four different locations. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the editor-in-chief of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Phil Walker, Wisdom.com's Ben Gardner and the magazine editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon. How are you guys doing? Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, all, all right. Um, all things considered, obviously a very, very strange time and... Uh, I'm still at the Oval. We've got a, a cricketer's who's who to send to print tomorrow. So it's pretty much just me and the groundsman left at the Oval here. It's quite a, an odd experience. They've understandably turned off all the heating, so it's freezing here as well. Um, so, yeah, I think as of next week, I'll be hunkering down like everyone else. Also, I should also say as well that I, I walked here and back. I haven't been taking public transport, have been taking precautions uh, and haven't been really seeing anyone. Um, how about you? How are you doing? Lovely, surviving. I've been using uh, video calls to to see people, so I don't feel too lonely. I was I was wondering actually, what's it been like putting a magazine together remotely? Because you haven't been in the same room as Phil for a bit. Not since earlier in the week. Phil and I were in the t- together a couple of days ago. Yeah, Wisdom Cricket Monthly went to print yesterday. Um, obviously, that in itself was was problematic. A lot of the magazine will perhaps feel a little bit dated but we've done done our best to bring it as up to date as as possible um phil i mean you you hit the button to send it to print yesterday it's been a it's been a, a different one hasn't it yeah you could say that without doubt the strangest issue we've done to date um as, as joe says some of it might jar a little bit but as you can imagine much of it was written and designed before the situation escalated um yeah for all all the weirdness of the moment I think the magazine still stands up and uh, it will become, I think, in time to come, a peculiar but quite sort of poignant document, really, of the time. My sort of editor's note, obviously, related to the, the, the current situation. And, and as we were adjusting pieces through the magazine as we went, we had to change the tone of it 
as we went along. Um, we'd prepared and designed uh, a county section in readiness for the new season, a new season that we had to acknowledge it was certainly not going to happen on the day that it was expected, may not happen at all. And we've tried our best in the last 24, 48 hours to address that fundamental question of where, where the game uh, may or may not be going over the next few months and the consequences financially um, of, of a potentially cancelled season. It's, it's amazing to think it's been seven days since we last recorded one of these. If you want a reminder of simpler times, just have a listen to last week's episode that was recorded before anything was cancelled. So since yeah. then, pretty much all cricket has either been suspended or cancelled. England's tour of Sri Lanka, Simbaspone, the PSL came to a premature end. The Sheffield Shield in Australia was suspended. India series against South Africa had to be rescheduled. Um, in England, the ECB recently, recently released a statement saying, following the government's latest advice around social distancing, it is with sadness and reluctance that we recommend that all forms of recreational cricket are for now suspended. These are unprecedented times. Cricket wasn't interrupted to this extent, even in wartime, Phil. Uh, you mentioned the recreational game where cash is scarce at the best of times. I actually spoke to my club chairman um, about the impact that it will have on our club. And he said uh, that the biggest problem facing our club, and this will, of course, be echoed up and down the land, is that they'll be losing players uh, and they'll be losing their subscriptions that come from the players um, our particular club has a fixed membership cost. So to lose those, those funds is, is potentially cataclysmic. He's hoping that the local council will help us out. Um, but our insurance as a club only runs to £1,000. So that'll be, that'll be easily subsumed. Um, we are fortunate in that we haven't ordered our shirts and our playing kits yet for the season and that our overseas player had not yet been confirmed. But of course, many other clubs will be a lot further down the line. So um, the, the sense from my club is that we will survive a season um, of non-cricket, but with the others. And that's, that's a huge question, really, that the game faces. Um, and you just hope that the ECB, whose messages I think have been pretty sound so far and whose actions... Uh, certainly have the county CEOs supporting them, but how big a how big a reserve fund is there uh, to protect not just county clubs, of course, but but club club cricket as well, all the way down the bottom of the mm. to the bottom of the pyramid. And 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 look, just as we're hearing around the country that you have to club together, you have to support one another, you have to make certain kind of innovative financial moves. Well, the same is obviously going to apply in cricket as well. Yeah, we. We don't have any idea when cricket will return to anything near normality, to be honest. Some, some reports suggesting that the current social distancing measures could last for months, six months even. So there's a very real possibility of there not being a cricket season at all. And this potentially has serious ramifications on counties as well as clubs. Um, there was a report today in The Telegraph from Ting Wigmore that said that over half the counties are in danger of bankruptcy. Joe, how, how bleak does it look for the counties? I mean, it doesn't look good, certainly. Um, Tim's piece, uh, it contrasted with what Phil wrote in his, in his leader. Phil spoke to a, a chief exec and another couple of people around the game who gave a more optimistic view of how the next few months might unfold. The question is just, at what point do we start again? And until you know that, it's very hard to know exactly how things are going to fall into place. Tim Wigmore, in his piece, he picks out the date of the 100 being the significant one. Will cricket start again before that? And obviously, the ECB, more than anything else this summer, will want the 100 to take place in some form or other. 
obviously you're going to have the, the traditional county supporters who want to see some county championship cricket. Something's going to have to give, if not the whole lot. The Royal London One Day Cup, I think we can consider that one gone already. I can't see how they can possibly fit that in. And that's the natural thing to fall away, given that they're calling it a de- developmental competition anyway. But yeah, there are counties who uh, are kind of living hand to mouth as it is. A lot of them have done the right thing in making sure that their venues are more than just cricket grounds. They, they're hospitality venues, they host gigs, they host dinners. All those things won't be happening. So... In a way, the ones that have, have done the responsible thing and tried to become more than a cricket club are the ones that stand most to lose most here um, because they've got different revenue streams that just aren't going to be, aren't going to be in operation. Ben, if, if um, theoretically there's no cricket from now until mid-July, how, how would you go about constructing a cricket season? Well, I think from a purely financial point of view, as Joe says, the ECB will, will be desperate for the hundreds to take place, but the counties will be desperate for the the T20 blast to take place and to get crowds in for that. I think that um, that is is their lifeblood, basically, as well as the, the money they get from the ECB. They don't make very much off the counter championship or the one-day cup. There's even an argument that they like that those are sort of loss-making competitions almost for them. And the uh, if, if they have to be played behind closed doors, which is a possibility, that wouldn't be a huge loss for them. But, yeah, so it's... I mean... If, if they were trying to fit, if they could potentially fit one competition in, the ECB would want it to be the 100. You fancy that counties would want it to be the blast. And you wonder if we if that could potentially be another area of contention in, in the months ahead. But, yeah, I guess, I, I guess yeah, it's, it's conceivable we get just short-form cricket and no proper first-class competition, just a couple of first-class games, sort of showpiece things, uh, maybe a couple of derbies, you know, Yorkshire v Lancashire, uh, Surrey versus uh, versus Middlesex and no and the county championship just resumes next season that might be one possible outcome but as you say we could have we could have nothing at all it could all just be discussing it for for nothing basically Phil there's a, as, as Ben says there are good reasons why if the season starts very late we basically just have the 100 the T20 blast and a little bit more there, there are good financial reasons for that but that would feel odd from a cricketing from a cricket supporters point of view yeah, but it's unprecedented, isn't it? I think we have to be pragmatic as much as possible here and recognise that while true cricket fans gravitate towards the four-day game over and above everything else, uh, we're talking, dare I say, about the existential future of, of certain counties here. And um, I think we just have to accept that the the best revenue generator for all counties is obviously the blast, and so that has to be protected at all, at all costs. What Tim wrote in the Telegraph today, um, uh, I can understand a, a, way, a, a way that the 100 can in effect be the pipe opener to the season and then the blast could potentially follow in the early autumn in kind of August onwards. I think there would be an appetite for that. Uh, I think also you have to bear in mind the TV companies as well. You know, Sky Sports put an obscene amount of money into cricket. They bankroll the English game as we know. They're not going to be interested in putting four-day cricket on. They're going to be wanting to pack their schedules with what would have been already pre-planned scheduling for the blast. And so I think quite rightly, those two tournaments, from a financial perspective and a TV bums-on-seats perspective, those two have to be prioritised for this year and this year only. It's interesting that no one's actually mentioned really the international summer either. You know, And the international summer will be due to start in May. That's not going to happen. There's going to be counties... Uh, rather test match hosting counties that are going to be relying on 
those test matches, some of them are not going to go ahead. Maybe all of them are not going to go ahead. Uh, but we will need some international cricket if there's going to be any international any cricket at all. And we run the risk here of potentially going into a, a test match with our eleven having played no red ball cricket at all. That's not inconceivable. That the only thing to really protect would be the test match game, and 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 the rest will have to fall by the wayside. And so you can have somebody rocking up at Lords and opening the batting on a Thursday morning without having played any Red Bull cricket at all. You imagine that they would find a way to play some stuff in the background, some twos cricket, some unofficial games, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see any four-day cricket, first-class cricket at all throughout this summer. In fairness, English, England players quite often play Test cricket without having played <laughs> yeah. Red Bull cricket in preparation. Sure, they do do that. That is true. If we're being completely hopelessly optimistic just for a second... I feel like there is a world where there's a sort of benefit to cricket from this whole thing, where somehow we get back on the park by July 17th when the 100s post start, and then there'll be a real appetite for live sport just because of everyone having been deprived so long, and cricket will be the pretty much the only thing on with the Euros being cancelled. Uh, who knows if the Olympics will be able to take place, even if cricket is restarted by that point and that sort of sport. And uh, there's a potential for it to be, with it being on free-to-air, like possibly like a really like life-firming thing. I remember talking to Henry Blofeld about the uh, the 1947 first-class summer, which uh, after the war, when everyone was still sort of on rations and uh, there wasn't much fun to be had outside of cricket, but the the county championship had absolutely huge attendances. It was the summer of uh, of Compton and Edrich when they got when they broke all run scoring records, and just as it being, it's the summer that got him into it, but just that basically got almost like a whole generation into cricket. Um, and there's, if, if, yeah, as I say, being very, very optimistic, there's a possibility that could happen. But yeah. Ben, you're making some very good points, but it's hard to take you seriously when your pet rat is crawling across <laughs> your, your shoulders. <laughs> so we've got a four way Skype going on. And is, it, is that Peanut? Is that your rat yeah, Peanut? That is, yeah. that is Peanut, yeah. He's just had a sleep in my hood, but now he's uh, awoken <laughs> and is crawling across my shoulders, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's bizarre. We'll, we'll put screenshots of this conversation on uh, on, our, on our Twitter feed if anyone's interested. We, we we said pet rat, right? This this is a pet rat, not a. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, he's, yeah. It's not just infested yes. Ben's flat. So, yeah. Although it's touch and go, looking at the state of your flat. <laughs> um, the the schedule could get quite funky. West Indies have offered to host England if the coronavirus basically avoids the Caribbean. Um, there's, there's talk that the English season could go into July, uh, sorry, July into October if, if necessary, which which makes sense, right? Uh, the, the weather in October is not that dissimilar to what it's like in April, so we could be playing well, look, up until Halloween. Uh, quite a few people are playing before all of this happened. Quite a few people have said that actually it'd be better to start in May and finish in October anyway with the county championship season because the weather is now better in October than it is in April. I don't see that being a huge problem. It's just the clashes that are that are going to come at the end of this. Uh, I think we're going to talk about, I mean, West Indies have made a generous offer to, to host England series over there and potentially even host uh, England's series against Pakistan over there. Is that right? I've not seen that. I've seen, that, yeah, I've seen the offer for the, for the England-West Indies series. I'm pretty sure they've said they'll, they'd also be happy to, to um, have the Pakistan series over there as well because there's very few cases of the virus in the Caribbean as yet. With fingers crossed, that's, that's the case. And this isn't a case of West Indies cricket board seeing a few quid here. Um, Johnny Grave, their CEO... 
um, who used to work in England with the PCA, said, look, all broadcasting rights, they stay as they are, but we just want to make sure that cricket can happen in the best way it possibly can, um, which is a really generous, um, thoughtful offer. And, you know, it might be one that England can potentially take up. It's also quite a big deal for individual players' careers. Wherever, whatever stage players are in their careers, having a whole year taken out is, is quite a big deal, Ben. You were saying that uh, for someone like Stokes, Stokes now has two, potentially has two years out of the game uh, at his peak. Uh, yeah, well, having had the one before out, yeah. I mean, I guess if, if it's just for the summer, in a way, if there was a summer to miss from like a personal point of view for someone like Stokes missing three tests against Wissonies and three tests against Pakistan, his legacy, I mean, his legacy is already secure, but it's not going to be too much burnished or not by this. I guess for, it's, it's funny when there's like a, obviously a huge, like world shattering pandemic that's going on, you end up wondering what it's going to do for like Joe Denley's test career. You realise that you're kind of like <laughs> hopelessly lost the game. It's good that whatever's happening in the world, we still come back to the future of Joe Denley's <laughs> test career. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and England's number three, yeah. Well, well, it goes two ways, right? So, in in one, in one way, you could say that he's a uh, he's got another year as England's incumbent number three, but equally, he's a lot less likely to to play another Test. But yeah, it's uh, it's got got a massive impact on players' careers, and you could tell, obviously, that the I, I wonder what it's like from a player when you're fit and healthy and you're not able to play. Like, I mean, we're getting bored just being stuck at home, but our 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 jobs aren't affected by it hugely at the moment. But you know. Players are so used to being active and they, they can't leave their, their house and their, and their gardens. And we hear this with cricketers who get injured. I mean, there's actually, Phil's just interviewed Mark Woods for the um, upcoming issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly and, and Mark Wood talks about the, the psychological pressures of, of not playing cricket and not being able to do the thing that you want to do. And look, that's, that's with an injury. In this case, you've got every professional in the country unable to do what they've been preparing for. And don't forget, these, these players would have been started training in November last year getting ready for this season and they've got nothing to get ready for and most most of them are so used to having cricket dominate their lives there isn't necessarily a lot else going on um that's certainly the impression I get from proofing the cricketers who's who uh over the last couple of days uh, they need a new series of Love Island I think that seems to be the thing that will keep them going <laughs> over over the next few months I was going to ask Phil you, you you've been proofing a lot of the cricketers who's who do you want to explain what it is and and some of the, the best mm. lines in it that you come across? Well, it's, it's becoming an increasingly surreal situation to be, to be reading with as much granular detail as possible the, the accounts of 400-plus first-class cricketers ahead of the two, 2020 domestic season, which looks like an increasingly forlorn and unlikely thing to take place anyway. Um, that said... We, we march on this this particular edition and we've been doing it for god joe will know but a decade and more it's got cult classic written all over it this one because it's it's going to be going out there it's going to be printed we've pre-sold quite a few already and you know the loyalists out there the county loyalists they want their who's who they they want it so we're going to deliver it for them by hook or by crook and uh it's going to go down in legend, this one. It's going to be on eBay for 20p in 10 years' time, but it's going to be shifting copies after copy. You watch. I've just been subbing. My, my stories are rather brought to you from the letter H today. Let's just say it's quite, it's quite a big job. Don't judge me, Joe. Don't judge me. I've been busy this morning. It's very revealing about your proofing so far. Yeah, yeah I know. On. I've got stories about Hannon Dalby, 
Simon Harmer, <laughs> Miles Hammond, Toby Helm. <laughs> anyway, no, it's, it's classic. Um, things that I've discovered just this morning. Um, Ravi Bapara, according to Simon Harmer, is a member of the Flat Earth Society. So there you go. <laughs> so make of that what you will. Miles Hammond. Oh, sorry, on, on, on Flat Earthers, um, I was once yep. uh, accosted by a Flat Earther and there is a 30-minute video of me on the internet being interviewed by a Flat Earther um, about a few years ago. It's really difficult to find, so you definitely won't be able to find it. But Put five yeah. minutes of it in, in this podcast halfway <laughs> yeah. through just to, just to shake things up a little bit. But sorry, you, uh, you were on to Hannah Dolby. Well, Hannon Dalby, um, who sends some, some lovely responses to, to the questions, but his nickname is Owlface, which I thought was a peculiar nickname, and, and his favourite book is Owls by Marianne Taylor, whoever that particular owls expert is. So he's, he's owls-based. Um, uh, Miles Hammond, uh, workaday Southpaw opening bat for Gloucestershire, um, his thing to change cricket for the better would be to introduce... LBWs for balls pitching outside leg stump. Now you've got to bear in mind this chap is a left-handed <laughs> opening batsman. <laughs> he's 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 right in his P45 before the, the the series the season has even failed to start. He must have had a really good 2019. Yeah, Lewis Hill. These are all H-based, Joe. Lewis Hill from Leicestershire. Targeted. Not even low in the H's either. No, no. Uh, targeted by armed robbers twice while working at his local news agency in Leicester. Blimey. In the badlands of Leicester Town. Twice. Twice. Armed robbers. Um, Toby, Toby, is it Toby Helm? Tom Helm. Tom Helm. Tom, Tom Helm. Who's Toby Helm? Political commentator or something. Anyway, Tom Helm, of course. The giant Middlesex seamer. Um, the, the most popular subject in the Middlesex dressing room, weapons. Just one word, weapons. So God knows what's going on there. And finally, I think they, I think they just call each other weapons as an insult. Right. So it means like being a bit of a wally. Oh, is that right? Yeah. All right, like... That's what I'm guessing it is. I, th- I think, uh, yeah, maybe. You've gone out on a limb there, yes, but maybe. I've got, I've got more stories from, from the H part of county cricket, but I guess we'll probably move on. It's a, it, it's a long it's Indeed. A long summer. No, n- next, next, next week, the letter K. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, got, um, I've got an idea. One gave me an idea, actually. So Alex Blake of Kent reckons he can name every player's squad number in county cricket which can't be true but given we're going to have a lack of material over the next few months I think we should just get him on the show say a number he has to say the county cricketer that's that's at least half an hour of podcasting get him on that's brilliant not not sure how uh, listener friendly that is oh, be good. Well, I'm talking about three months there will be low standards by then um, can I just dip into a few mo- the favourite section is my favourite section is always the umpires because um, you don't really think about umpires when they're not standing there in their, in their white coats what they do over the winter so um, Jeff Evans first class umpire he's got a job driving ski groups to the Alps during the winter uh, to indulge his own passion of skiing uh, Neil Bainton He's a Royal Mail postie. Used to be my umpire at our club, Bainters. Hey. Yeah, he was our first team umpire when I was growing up. One of your and own. Paul, Paul Baldwin, he's been an extra in two German films, playing uh, an RAF pilot in one and bodyguard to Lyndon B. Johnson in the other. <laughs> <laughs> this That's is marvellous. That's fantastic. Um, some other ways to spend your, 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 your periods of self-quarantine... Um, have a look on Twitter and look at what Mark Church, the voice of Surrey, 
has been doing. Mm, Even yeah. commentating on some classic Ashes moments with his mum and his daughter. Um, also, ESPN Cricket for UK editor and WCM columnist Andrew Miller has also been recreating famous Ashes memories with his pet cat. Um, that is more entertaining than it sounds. If you've not already seen them, <laughs> I'd recommend having a look. Um, we've not talked much about the PSL at all this year. It was brought to a premature end after Alex Hale showed symptoms on his of, of the showed coronavirus symptoms on his return to the UK. Um, given that we're unlikely to have much cricket anytime soon, the performances of England players in the PSL might have uh, really big ramifications on their T20 World Cup prospects. Presuming that still goes ahead, Ben, who who are the big winners from an English perspective? Well, it's hard to look past Alex Hale's really. You've knows how to make an exit having brought the whole thing to a close but um, <laughs> just every time he picks up a bat in the shortest format he just scores runs very quickly and uh, I mean if, if there was ever a time to, to rebuild some trust it's putting him and Owen Morgan in a, a you know a social uh, a self-isolation booth for a, a couple of weeks and let them have it out <laughs> but I mean if, if there is a, I, I think it's hard to avoid the conclusion that he is the best T20 opener that England have available and if they want to win the World Cup he's like him in their first 11 would be a boost for them I mean obviously the the the, the team unity argument is a strong one but there is a long time between now and then and he just looks in such good form and has done for such a long time that it's going to be fascinating to see whether whether there is any way back for him um, oh, obviously you've got Johnny Bairstow Josh Butler as well but I mean, if you're comparing Hales' worth in the T20 stuff compared to the ODI team, um, he's, he's obviously more important in this format than he was for the 50 World Cup, which makes the decision to leave him out uh, far harder. Oh, uh, yeah, massively. I think that um, I think Alex Hales is a, a better T20 batsman than a 50 over batsman. I think Jason Roy is not quite as good in T20 cricket as in 50 over cricket. And England are also... A, T20 team who can less afford to leave out a player like that I mean they're, they're, they're still slightly different things even though England play 50 over cricket as much like T20 cricket as any team has ever done if that makes sense uh, they're still slightly different formats that require slightly different skill sets and England are just better in 50 over cricket than T20 cricket so they, they need kind of the, all the help they can get in a way so yeah it's, it's, it's in, I mean there isn't really a critting case for leaving them out but it's increasingly hard to see how the sort of the moral case if you like counteracts the cricketing case which is uh, just has Alex Hales as so well not not so far ahead the best I mean we've got to remember that Johnny Bairstow is especially very very good in the batting as is Josh Butler though England may try and find something else for him to do England do have other options but I feel like Alex Hales probably is the best of those options right now well there's uh, everyone's obviously rightly got excited about Tom Banton and he had a brilliant big bash but based on Banton's PSL form versus Hales it, it's increasingly hard to make the case that Banton is a better pick than Hales on purely cricketing terms obviously there are other factors to take into account but Banton's still a work in progress however exciting he might be yeah and Hales also has the the, the, the huge body of work in T20 cricket especially I remember was it back in 2010 or 11 he got that 99 against uh, against the West Indies like he was in a way England's he was in a way sort of like the almost like at the vanguard of this attacking revolution and doing it in T20 cricket to begin with I mean he's got like a yeah as I say like the 100 against Sri Lanka he's uh, you could argue he's 
kind of been England's most successful T20 batsman in international cricket. And yeah, Banton, as good as he could be at the moment, doesn't have the sort of just 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 that confidence that he can do it at that level to be uh, to be ahead of Hales. I think another English player to have a really good tournament was Samit Patel. He had a, he had a brilliant tournament with the ball. Um, I can't believe that he doesn't have a contract for the hundred. I can't believe it. How how is somebody who's one of the most effective players in one of the best T20 leagues in the world still not got a hundred contact contract? Obviously that that could change. Um, but yeah, that was it's sad that the PSL came to a premature end because it had been such a good tournament, very entertaining. Uh, there's an amazing array of uh, quick bowlers in the PSL, which makes it quite particularly exciting to watch. And it's high quality cricket and packed houses as well. And I was going to say as well, and it was really noticeable this year compared to previous years, just how much attention it was getting um, on social media, news coverage, partly over here because more English players are playing in it. But, but not just that. I think there's an appreciation that this is actually a really high quality tournament. Uh, and also it being played in Pakistan entirely as well as gives it another, uh, adds to the atmosphere of the whole thing, makes it a kind of a more, uh, more of a, a showpiece mm. event. Um, so this week's Saturday night stat, it's the it's the stat that I sent to Joe, Phil, and Ben about ten forty five on a Saturday night. Uh, this week's one was Graham Hick took more ODI wickets than Phil Tufnell in the nineteen nineties. Hick took twenty one <laughs> wickets at thirty eight, Tufnell nineteen wickets at thirty seven. Which I was pretty. How, how do you alight on this? Yes, yes. How do you alight <laughs> on this? Um, so I found it in earlier in the day when I was at home. And I set an alarm on my phone for 10.45 that said, nonsense, Hickstat. And, uh, yeah. So, but, I mean, if you're looking for silly stats, the 90s is a pretty good place to go, um, particularly with England in the 90s, particularly England one-day cricket in the 90s. Um, and I knew that Hick took quite a few wickets. So I thought there was a chance that there'd be something with Hick. And I got it. Um, Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, moving on. I think I, I actually responded to that one, didn't you I? Did, you did. I actually, actually gave you a, yeah. gave I, you a response. I responded as well with a <laughs> video of my uh, my mum ice skating to a background of Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby, uh, which wasn't immediately relevant. Um, <laughs> no, but it was a glimpse into your, your internal life, Joe, that I rarely get, despite having worked with you for a decade and more. It was, it was quite revealing, actually, in its own way. Well, I was preparing for hunkering down. My mum sends me these videos the whole time, and I thought there's, there's something to work with here. So I did another sure. one to slide away um, and hit me with the rhythm stick as well, because the rhythm is, <laughs> Lovely. is, is, not, is not great. Um, but yeah, anyway, more of that to come, probably. You should get on TikTok. <laughs> that, that is genuinely what TikTok's about. Right. Put, put music right. On, on videos, though. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, watch out for, for Joe on TikTok. Um, <laughs> last week we talked about um, cricketers who did really well in their secondary discipline. Joe reminded us of Jonathan Trott's extraordinary seventh for against Kent. Um, have you guys got any more today? I have. Yeah, go on. I'm going to just do, I'm going to limit mine to exclusively um, Warwickshire batsmen who bowl a bit uh, and go in with, with Ian Bell. Uh, so this was. June 2004, I think a month, just a month before Ian Bell made his test debut, actually. Warwickshire playing Middlesex at Lords. Warwickshire scored 608 in their first innings. Nick Knight, 303 not out. Ian Bell himself, 129, but that's not what we're interested in here. In reply, Middlesex are struggling. They're 5 for 72. You're looking to polish off the tail. And who do you bring on? You bring on Ian Bell to bowl, who takes 4 for 4 in four overs, 
uh, including Lance Klusen at LBW first ball. And Middlesex are blown away for 163. Uh, go on to lose by an innings. Bell getting Klusener again in the second innings. Uh, and yeah, an innings victory and eight runs. Warwickshire, Ian Bell, genuine all-rounder. I think Ben's got a better one. Oh. As, g- <laughs> as, as good as that was. As good as that was. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got a couple. Uh, mine's an actually match-turning bowling performance from uh, none other than Sir Alistair Cook in a... Uh, in 2005 when he was keen to do a bit of everything to, uh, to, to make his case. So I'll run you through the scorecard again. So uh, first off, Essex, 506. Alistair Cook, 66. Uh, North Ants make 247. Asked to follow on. But looks like they might get away with a draw when they get to 202 for two in their second innings. And then uh, who do Essex bring on to, uh, to break the partnership? But Alistair Cook, who proceeds to take three wickets and three overs as a... Uh, North Ant slide from 202 for 2 to 207 for 5. Uh, a great crop of wickets as well. First, Usman Afzal, LBW, uh, bold cook. Finishes off with Ricky Wessels, caught Andy Flower, bold cook. And then uh, in the middle, uh, stumped by Foster, top scorer, Bilal Shafiat. Uh, one Ashes legend gets another. Uh, and uh, <laughs> as it's gone to, to win at a canter. So, yeah, that, that's one. And I also, I just find... Ajita Garka's test career completely fascinating uh, so <laughs> as a, uh, he obviously was a bowler so it's not in his secondary discipline but only once took more than three wickets in an innings when he took six for 41 uh, against Australia in Australia in one of India's greatest ever test victories in the game where Latchman and Dravid batted for absolutely ages Dravid got a double hundred and then also got a uh, hundred in the fourth innings against England at Lords and never else passed 50 in his in his test career, so more more Lords Test hundreds than uh, than Sachin Tendulkar. So, so was that was that in a losing cause that hundred? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was one of those sort of. I guess that that was more of a, a, a silly tail end thrash when they've got too many runs to chase. But still, it, they all count. Ben, ben, on going back to your Cook spell. Yes. At that because early in his career he bowled a bit of off spin, didn't he? Do you know, was he bowling off spin or was he bowling his Bob Willis's? I think it must have been off spin considering, well, I mean, I guess Foster could stand up to Cook's Bob Willis's pretty comfortably. <laughs> but, Probably. Uh, but but, but from, the, from the look of the scorecard, so Monty took seven for in the first innings. Uh, Danish Canaria took six for in the same innings that Cook took those three. So it, I think it must have been a little bit of a of slow <laughs> tweak. Um, but yeah, but he, Cook, Cook never again took more than one wicket in a first class innings. But on that occasion, just just tore through Northants. We've been we've been sent loads in on social media. Uh, one that caught my eye was Graham Gooch took five wickets at eighteen at home to Pakistan in nineteen ninety two. Phil, this is yes, your areas. Um, what, what 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 happened there? <laughs> um, Gooch, he was a massively underrated seamer. Uh, it was only the fact that he was captain that he didn't bowl all the time. Uh, in 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 the game as well, where he got three hundred, uh, he took the key wicket of Mandraker at first drop and then also completed a run out uh, in a game where he made 456 runs. He's, he's one of the great all-rounders. He's just just too modest and enigmatic to say so, yeah. But Gooch, honestly, used to take a lot of wickets for Essex, swinging it round corners. He was, he was better than a kind of joke batsman who bowls a bit. He was better than that, Gooch was. Uh, and always got a bit of a way movement as well. Um, so, yeah, 
He, he had his moments, did Gucci. Kind of like above, above Jonathan Trott level of bowling? I, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, obviously Joe's Joe's going to be bristling at that, but I would say that Gooch was he, he swung he swung it a lot a, a lot on his day <laughs> in certain conditions he swung it a lot. Okay, back in the old days, I I remember Trot swinging it a lot on his. I'll day. knock it off, Gardner. Um, <laughs> I, I've got I've just they probably don't fit the bill. I've got a couple of um, kind of one off one off scalps that you would never imagine. Quite famous ones, I guess, but. And one slightly more more off piste, but obviously Vaughan clean bowling Sachin is is a classic. It's it's a classic of the genre, if you like. Ponting nicking off Vaughan as well a couple of years later in in that 05 Ashes that was a great moment. Yeah, Ponting finally let go yeah. of the, the the tough mongrel, uncompromising bastard personality. He let go and giggled like a silly little schoolgirl. It was beautiful to watch. But yeah, Nick Nick Vaughan off. Rendered him shotless as well in that spell. It was a brilliant bit of captaincy, I thought. But here's one for you. I bet, bet none of you know this. Who were Nasser Hussein's two first-class wickets? Oh, I feel like I know one of these. I'll fill in the blanks. I'll fill in the blanks for you, shall I? Viv Richards. Yaz Rana. Lovely. Yaz Rana, Sir Vivian Richards. And, of course, in the other one, of course, Stuart Lampitt, um, separated at birth. <laughs> I was, was going to say him. <laughs> <laughs> Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. So there you go. You can have that. It's the best I've got, I'm afraid. Sorry. <laughs> well, a lot of people mentioned Yasser Shah's 100 against Australia this winter. My yeah, favorite, good one, yeah. My favourite response was Tom Evans, who said, Stuart Bloor's test century made sense at the time, but, which I thought was actually pretty good. Um, of course, yeah. Tino Best, 95 against England. That was pretty insane. Mm. Um, Jimmy Anderson nearly, was, you know, he was only 19 runs away from a test 100. Uh Glenn McGraw's got a test 50. Um, but my favourite, and I'm convinced this is England's lowest point this century, uh, is, is Ross and Chase's 8 for 60 last year. Um, that was an aberration. Um, and I, I st- I, I'm not really over it, and I'm not sure if England are really over it, but um, <laughs> that was uh, that's the lowest for me. Have we, got, have we got any more? Well, I mentioned Michael Clarke's 6 for 9 last week. Um, it, all the more bizarre the more you think about it he took the last six wickets to fall in, in about 20 minutes against India that one's always up there another one and this doesn't fit the bill but it's still something that I can't quite ever shake maybe because of my age at the time and I was watching it but Andy Bickle 7 for 20 in that 2003 World Cup game against England you, you have you have McGrath and Lee opening the bowling in that game and England was 60 for naught off about seven or eight overs. Nick Knight, star of the show, and Gothic went after them at Port Elizabeth. Uh, about 45 minutes later, Andy Bickle had absolutely ripped through England and ended up taking seven for 22. Um, that's, that's a desperate aberration on England's part. I know kind of that's what Bickle's there for, but no one is ever, he, ever... He was a good bowler, Bickle. Yeah, but come on, seven for 20. Seven, in, a, in, a, in 10 overs, seven for 20 after they've gone after McGrath and Lee and um, Gillespie as well and taken to the cleaners. It doesn't fit the bill, but it's one that I've never been able to shake. So that, that Clark one actually reminds me... So that six for nine was maybe all the more amazing that it came in a, in a loss by 13 runs mm. uh, when they bowled it out for 205 in the second but caught ball up for 93 in the, in the chase. But he also it was clearly took, doing a bit, yeah. Yeah, but the one I actually remember is the, is the, the three for five he took in 2008, I think. When uh, the game looked to be India looks to be about to scrape a draw, and then he comes on and takes three for five, I think in two overs or less, 
Um, yeah, it was at, it was at Sydney, right at yeah, the death. One. Yeah, yeah. Just, that that uh, was that was the nasty game, the game where uh, Harbajan and Simon squared up uh, yeah. and may or may not have said some appalling things. Um, yeah, but yeah, Clark saw that one off, and then Australia went berserk afterwards. I remember, and then there was a poll that week in the Australian press, and the the Aussie public had essentially turned away from the team. Um, and uh, Peter Roebuck, the brilliant writer at the time, he wrote something I think for the Sydney Morning Herald, saying that the, the Australian setup should be ashamed of itself for the way that it behaved throughout that Test match. And the piece got a lot of support among the, the Aussie public. And after that. Ponting had to release a statement saying, yeah, we, you know, we're addressing our behaviour and so on and so on. So that was a lightning rod moment, that game, in a number of ways. Oh, but here's you to finish off the show. Um, anyway, this has been the Wizen Cricket Weekly podcast. Thanks for, thanks for coming, guys. We'll be recording these every week throughout the summer, regardless of how much cricket there'll be. So stay tuned. We need your help, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Any suggestions for what you want us to talk about, please. Yeah. If you've enjoyed the show, tell a friend about it. And if you're feeling extra nice, why not leave us a five-star review on the podcast app. Cheers. Podcast Network.